Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. All right, we're going through a study of Ephesians. We're halfway through. Now, what we have learned thus far in the book of Ephesians is really who we are and what we have in Jesus. I mean, everything that we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians is all that God has done for us, that God chose us, Jesus redeems us, and the Holy Spirit what? Seals us. Remember, it was that whole illustration that Paul is giving us. It's this, this, this slave trade or the slave market, right? Like, here's the slave market. And we see later on that the slave market, y'all weren't even good slaves. Y'all were dead, okay? So God comes to the slave market and a bunch of dead slaves, like, you know, you're dead, rotting corpses in the slave market. And God looks at you as rotting. Some of y'all stink more than others. And God says, I want you. God chooses you. God says, I choose you. But the problem is, you come with a cost. I can't just buy this dead corpse. God couldn't just pull you out. He says, I need to pay for you. And so the word redemption means person. Jesus bought us, or God bought us, chose us and bought us with the blood of his son. So I need to buy you, and I take you out of the slave movement. You're dead. Now you are alive, okay? But then now... We need to make sure that you're sealed and everybody knows that you're God's. And so God says, you like when you buy like a pair, a pair of glasses, sunglasses, like Oakley's or something, nice glasses, not cheap glasses, but nice. And you put a little mark on the inside. So when some fool tries to steal them, like, nah, look in the mark, look at there. That's my initials. Um, God says, okay, I'm going to take you. Holy Spirit, you are marked, sealed, redemption. You are set apart for God. And so when Satan tries to come and accuse you, Satan tries to come after you. God's like, nuh-uh, mine. Look, he's got the, he got the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so, so you are sealed for the day of redemption. And so we saw that played out a couple weeks ago, how we were all dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. And then last week, we saw more specifically who we are as Gentiles, right? We're all wicked and pagan. And because of that, we have no promise. We have no inheritance. We have no citizenship. We have no hope. We have no God. That's who we were as Gentiles. That's what we learned last week. But God, right? But God, Jesus came. And in Christ, what we have is the new humanity. We have new citizenship. We have hope. We are rooted in the promises of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were rooted in that covenant, but God. And because of that, now we are one with the Gentiles. There is neither Jews or Gentiles, Greeks or or, or Scythians. There's no bond or free or male or female. We're all one in this new humanity, the church. And so this morning, what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to even reiterate and push deeper into God's purpose and God's calling and God's redemption plan in this world, mainly in the mystery of God's church. Now, I believe 
one of the greatest needs in the modern day church is that the Christians, we need to have a high view of the church. We need to reform our view of the church. You see, it's when, when, when I was younger, I've always had this weird view of God, of he's God, he's high. I've never, like some people are like, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna, I got a few bones to pick with God, or I got this, you know, God's like, you know. I'm like, he's God. Like he created you. Like we, we don't, like I have no problem with God is holy, God's righteous, but I believe that there's a lot of, so we need to have a high view of God, yes. We need to have a high view of scripture, right? We need to understand that it's the word of God and it's to create, it's to mold us, it's to make us, it's to change us, transform us. It's every word of, every word is the living word of God, profitable for our benefit, for our reproof, for our correction, for our strengthening, for our growth, for our um, uh, uh, sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's all the word of God, so we need a high view of the word, but I believe where we're messing up in the church today is that we have this low view of God. And because of that, it is stifling and hindering our Christian growth. We have this relaxed cavalier attitude where we, you know, I don't know. Do I feel like getting up this morning, going to church? Uh, are you going to church this Sunday? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. You know, are you going to, do you give to the church? Well, maybe. It depends on if my, you know, week, I'll see how the week goes. I got some things I want to buy. And then if I have extra, maybe I'll give to the church. Or, I, you know, I served the church a long time ago, and it just, it was okay. But I need a break. You know, it's a 10-year 10, 10 break of just not serving the church. And, and I, I just don't want to serve right now. I just kind of want to be a leech on the church right now. And, and you know, and the, even though the, I know Jesus says that we're all part of the body, and we all have gifts and members, and we're all supposed to do something. You know, and, and I promise you guys, here's, I've said this before, but there is no tick on the bride of Christ, okay? Jesus is a good country boy. He's going to check his bride for ticks. There's no leeches that are just sucking. We all have a job and a role and a part of the body to do, but there's this cavalier attitude of like, eh, maybe. Or we go the opposite, and it's become more and more popular where we just kind of talk bad about the church. I, I've, I've been guilty of this in the past where, man, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites bunch of wicked people. There's, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. There's even books. Love Jesus, hate the church. And I don't really need, I'm not one of those religious people. I don't go to church because they're a bunch of corrupt hypocrites. I'm a spiritual person, higher elitism. Um, you know, I love Jesus. And me and Jesus have this amazing relationship that is secret to these wicked religious Christians. And guys, I'll tell you, I've said this before. But we are the bride of Christ. And I've used this analogy, but look, as the bride of Christ, let's just say, y'all, we are, we're going to go, you want to go to the beach this weekend. And you're like, hey, David, me and my family are going to the beach. I want you to come with us. Like, hey, come with me. I want you to come. And this is just a hint. I'll say yes. Um, I want you to come with me. I, you can even bring your, your, your family or your kids. But here's one thing. I just, we don't, my, my wife talked about, it. we don't want Savannah to come. We don't like her, right? She's annoying, and she's got she's just messed up. She's got a lot of issues. She's, you know, and and plus a lot of people don't like her, and I don't want to be seen around her. Okay, and so is there any way that you can come to the beach with us and leave Savannah home? You know, just make up an excuse, tell her, hey, you gotta stay home, watch the cat or something, but you can't come with us. Listen, listen to me, y'all. If that ever happens. Me and you, we ain't good. 
We, we, we have no friendship at that point after that. We have no, you, know, you can mess with me. You can push me. You can cuss me. You can hit me. You can kick me, spit on me. I don't care. You talk about my wife. We got issues. That's where, that's where the flesh takes over, okay? I'm, I'm being sanctified daily, but you start messing with my wife. It's going to take a lot of spirit to stop me, okay? Because that's my bride. And, and we are the bride of Christ, and we, the way that we talk about her, Jesus, his bride, we got to watch our tongue, y'all. But we got to go. So what Paul is about to show us, Paul is about to show us that I, I believe that we have this cavalier attitude, and that is stifling our Christian growth, that we as the well, you see, we are just an expression of the big church. There's the big church, right? All those who in Christ are, are part of the church. Now, there's... The expression of that church, the well is an expression. This Baptist church is an expression. I think that's a Baptist church is an expression. I think we're surrounded by Baptists. There's another Baptist church. That's an expression. And then there's the, they're all expressions. Now, to be an expression of the church, you've got to have certain things. You've got to be founded on the apostles and the prophets, right? So the teaching. So if you go to a church and they are not preaching the word of God, if the Bible is not the foundation, the prophet, the teachings of the prophet, and Jesus is not the cornerstone, but if the Bible is not being preached, guys, it's not a church. It's happy time. It's inspirational time. If you ever get up and a pastor says, hey, I'm going to preach on 10 steps to be a better you. And then he uses the Bible to kind of sprinkle in to, to, to add to his points. That's not a preacher. That's not a church. And it's not my definition of preacher or church. That's the Bible. The Bible says the church, the mystery of God, the, is founded on the prophets and the apostles' teaching. So if you want to be a church or if you call yourself a church, that's the first foundation. So we need to have a biblical high view of the church. Now, what does that mean? We need to have a biblical view. What does God see the church? God has a high view of the church. The church is central to God's purpose and plan but it's also necessary for Christian growth. You know, I was talking to, to Daniel after or before the service, and I, I mentioned I have never met a person who is being sanctified by God, walking in holiness, walking in humility, walking in love, who is growing in Christ, who is mature in Christ. I've never met a Christian like that who is also not a part of the church body who's not serving in the church, who's not connected to the church, who's not in for the unity of the church, who is not giving to the church. You see, I've never met that person because that person does not exist. Because if we are going to be, when you are saved, Paul says we are using this metaphor, the body, when you are saved, you're saved into the church. You're saved into this body. The ball says the eye can't say, I don't need the hand, right? The foot can't say, I don't need the, the eyes or the ear, the mouth. I don't need you. We all have a different part of the body. We all have a different role of the body. We all are a part of the body. We look, at, look around. All members. All me Some of y'all are hands. Some of y'all are mouths. Some of y'all are baby toes. But here, let me tell you, well, the baby toe is not that important. Yeah, stub your baby toe and see what happens. 
It affects the entire body. And so that's why we're going to see the importance of this unity and this working of God doing something with the mystery of the church that it's so important that we get this through. You cannot be a lone Christian. You have to be a part of the expression of the church, which is the local community to use your gifts to serve, to give, and put your investing time into. That is what the Bible is about to teach us. It's the mystery of the church. Remember, Paul says, already says in, in chapter 2, he says the church is a city. He said it's a family. Verse 20, he says it's a building or a temple. And then in chapter 3, we see it's a mystery. In fact, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I, uh, sorry, that thing keeps going on, as I briefly written already. In verse 4, he says, by which when you read, you may understand that my knowledge in the mystery of the church of Christ. And verse 9, fast forward, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is the beginning of ages, from the beginning of ages, has been hidden in God, whom created all things through Christ Jesus. So mystery. Now, when you think of mystery, don't think of like who did it, who killed them, murder mystery. You know, how can we know who killed the person? We won't know unless it's a, there's a rare plant on it. Then Sam killed him because that's how Sam said he'd kill him, put a rare plant on the, over the dead body. Um, don't think murder mystery like that. What a mystery is, is a, a supernatural, beyond natural knowledge that is revealed in due time by the Holy Spirit through the uh, special revelation of God's Word. So in other words, something called progressive revelation. You have two different types of revelation. You have general revelation and you have progr- uh, special revelation. General revelation is go out in the woods and you can see God's glory. Look at your blood through a, magn- a, magnif- a, magnifi- a uh, microscope. You can see God's glory, right? You see God's glory. That's general revelation, you know, and yet we still deny that. You know, we're all here by monkeys. Uh, but, um, but special revelation, you don't get special revelation out there. I've never been around a squirrel and it's taught me about Jesus and how Jesus saved me by his blood. Like the squirrels never told me that. All right. Jesus, that revelation, the special revelation is revealed in the word of God. And it's a it's a progressive meaning over time. God has slowly revealed to him us, uh, to us his plan. And so the mystery that Paul's saying is that there are mysteries that have been slowly revealed. And there have been mysteries that God has given. And there are things that God has not given us. Right. There are mysteries that we still don't. The mystery of the Trinity. Like how that all works. And people try to argue it. No, God's like an egg. You know, you got the white stuff and the yolk and the, and the shell. Like the Holy Spirit's an egg or the Holy Spirit's water. You got steam, mist, and liquid. You know, it's, it's like, no, okay. God's not an egg and God's not water. It's a mystery. And, and, and there are people in this room and in, in the church that love to speculate on the mysteries of God that he's not revealed. They just, what if God did this? You know what I mean? Just, and they just kind of ponder life's mysteries and speculate on what it could be like. And I just, it just drives me nuts. Like I hated philosophy in college. I took four years, eight semesters of philosophy from beginning of philosophy to modern day philosophy. And all it is is a bunch of lunatics sitting in a room trying to figure out how we got here. But it's speculation, it's just all speculating on how, and there's no foundational truth. It's just let's speculate how we got here. Let's speculate on different aspects of life. 
And so when somebody wants to speculate on mysteries that God has not revealed, I'm like, there's no winning here, all right? There's no truth. There's no foundation. You speculate, and then I speculate. How did we get here? What's about Trinity? You speculate. And it ends up becoming a tie, and I hate ties. That's why I hate soccer. Like any sport, any sport that ends in a tie is, is not a sport. It's a hobby that is a poor hobby. And like flip a coin or something. Do something. You don't end in a tie. But the only things that we can know for sure are things that God has revealed to us in his special revelation. God has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit, his wisdom, his mysteries. And so what are the mysteries that God is telling us here? What's he talking about here? He's talking about the mystery of the church, that Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. That we are all equal under Jesus Christ, that there is nobody above another. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Look, I can't pray to God and get there any faster than you can because I'm a pastor. I, I know I joke around that. I try to get you guys to do favors for me. I'll talk to the big guy. Um, but honestly, there's nothing. Some of y'all buy it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's no difference. Like, I'm just using my gifts. Y'all have gifts. Like, we're all one under Christ. There's no difference. There's no, God looks at all of his children the same way, saved by grace under Jesus Christ on equal footing, right? And that's the mystery that Paul is about to show us. That's the mystery that Paul is telling us. And so let's jump in. The mystery of the church. The first thing we're going to see is the person of the mystery. Who delivered this message? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which have been given, given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Okay, so Paul says... I'm a special, I, Paul, okay, now Paul was a messenger of the gospel and apostle. He wasn't the only apostle, but Paul had a unique calling on his life. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, okay? Before Paul, all the, all the apostles were preaching to Jews. It stayed in Jerusalem, right? The, the, the Christianity was very close to becoming just a Jewish sect, it was not going out to the entire world. It was staying within Jerusalem. And God put a special calling on Paul to go become the Gentile, or the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul says, for this reason, I became apostle. I became a prisoner for you Gentiles. For what reason? We go back to verse, or chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, I, Paul, uh, the Jew, there's no longer Jews nor Gentiles. The middle wall is torn down, uh, and they are uh, one in body. So basically, what Paul says is because God tore down the, the, uh, the wall between Gentiles and Jews in the court, because he tore down that barrier, now Paul is called to this ministry. And he's called to this ministry to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. Now what Paul is about to do, he's getting ready to pray, but before he prays, he, he, he starts for this reason. And then verse 14, he says, for this reason. And so right between verse 1 and verse 14, there's this 2 verses 13 through 13. And this is a parenthetical section. This is in parentheses. 
Because Paul is like, almost like, I'm ready to preach, move on. We're going to go into prayer. But then Paul kind of in parentheses says, nah, I want to pound this in again. I want to pound this idea of the church again. I want to talk about the church. Because yes, the church is a city. Yes, the church is a family. Yes, the church is a temple. But the church is also this mystery of God. And I want to pound it and pound it and pound it. Repetition, 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 repetition. <laughs> Say that five times. Um, I want to get it through your head that there's something important. There's something important about this mystery of God, the church, that this is not normal. This is not common. The, the saints of the Old Testament would be blown away by this truth. That there's no longer Jews nor Gentiles. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles. Why was Paul in prison? Preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. That was it. Paul was imprisoned because of the Gentiles. He actually would go out, and in a Jewish mind, a Gentile could only be saved if he became Jewish, which means circumcision, which means obeying the law, which means following the commands, following the ordinance, following the law, the, the, uh, the, the Sabbath days and all the festival days. So the only way you can be saved as a Jew, as a Gentile for us, you had to become Jewish. And Paul comes along and says, ha, 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 no, no distinction anymore. There's nothing, there's no, there's no that distinction anymore. We are all one and thank God for that. Thank God for that, because Paul comes along and says, we are all one, no Jews, no Gentiles. But you remember what happens. Paul goes to Jerusalem, okay? Paul goes to Jerusalem to preach this God. Now, before we jump into this, I do want to say this. When we talk about the church and Israel, I want to make sure it's very clear. God, the church did not replace the nation of Israel, Amen. Okay? It's not this supplication or this, uh, uh, there's this, there's a lot of theology and theories and there's a lot of churches that believe, well, maybe the church, this replacement theory, maybe the church becomes Israel or spiritual Israel. Maybe God replaced Israel. No, the Bible teaches in Romans 9, 10, and 11, I think 9, 10, 11, or 10, 11, 12, it's been a while, but Paul talks about this situation exactly. And what Paul talks about is that God has promises to Israel. Now, when people ask me, do you support Israel? I say, yes. Why do I support Israel? Because if God is done with Israel, then there's nothing to say that God's not, can be not done with me. Because if God's done making, breaking the promise with Israel, then he can break a promise with me. Because God has made covenant promises with the nation of Israel that have yet to be fulfilled, that will be fulfilled. And so what happened and what we see in Romans is that the nation of Israel, they were to be a tool, a vessel that God called to be the light to all nations to breathe through. It's almost like this, this music stand. This is actually this, this music stand. It's perfect because the foundation of the nation of Israel was threefold, was the, the patriarchs, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then out of this tree comes this, 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 this olive tree. And then right down the middle of the shoot was this Messiah, the seed that was going to come and bless the nations. But the nation of Israel was God's tool to breathe the Messiah into the world. And so God's chosen covenant people. Now what Paul says in Romans, this is a long tangent. I'm not sure why we're going on it. But what God says in Romans, he says that God takes Israel because of the rejection and partially and, uh, and temporarily almost puts them on a shelf for a second. 
for a season and says, I'm doing something new. Because of your rejection, the gospel is now going out to all the nations, and I'm going to take wild olive branches, you Gentiles, you wicked pagans, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to graft you into the promised tree of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You become a blessed, you become blessed and inherit all the riches, all the blessings, all the promises of the nation of Israel that God promised, but it's a new humanity. No Jews, no Gentiles, no Greek, nor Scythian, no bond, no the free, no male, nor female. It's a new thing that God's doing. It's the mystery unveiled. But the Bible says, Daniel says, there's going to be a 70th week. The week is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Why is it Jacob's trouble? Because who is Jacob? Jacob has got his name changed. One of the patriarchs, one of his names, the great, great, the, the grandson of Abraham to Israel. Just as Abram was Abraham, Jacob was changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And the time of Jacob's trouble becomes the last 70th week, the 70, the 70 years of tribulation, where it's going to be about the nation of Israel. Paul says, when the time of the Gentiles is done, when the last Gentile is saved, it could be in here. So if you're, you're resisting, not yet. Just put your faith in Jesus. I'm ready to go home, okay? Um, come on. Do it. But when the time of the Gentiles is over, the Bible, Paul says that, okay, now it's the time where the Israel will be restored. 144,000 Israelites, Jewish people from every tribe, every nation of all the Israel, will, all, every tribe of Israel will be saved. There will be a mass revival, will be sealed to go proselyte, go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ during the seven years of tribulation. God is not done with the nation of Israel. God is going to harpazo, going to raptura, us going to catch up his bride and he's going to be done moving on to the fulfilled promises to Israel seven years of tribulation at least that's how I read it now if you guys are post or you guys believe tribulation post tribulation hopefully I'm right and you're wrong but um I know because there's I know there's some post trips in here and, and and then if that's the case still everything else I said is true except for we're going through it with the Israelites okay um just stock up on cans all right um but God is not done with I don't know why I went through this God's not done with the nation of Israel thank God for that but he is doing something here with the mystery of the church and so what Paul was doing he was called to be the apostle to the, the Gentiles and he went around nation after nation, and he collected tithes and offerings from these churches, Colossians, Galatians, from the uh, Corinthian church, from the Romans church. Well, he never went to the Romans, but all these tithes and offerings. And his goal was to bring it back to Jerusalem to make, to, to kind of be a peace offering because the church in Jerusalem was going through famine. They're going through persecution. And so Paul's like, in order for us to be one, these Jewish church in Jerusalem that believes in Jesus, because right now we're in danger of being two different churches. Paul's like, I want everybody to know we are one church. The Gentiles are a part of the church of the Jewish church. We're all one in Christ. Christ. So Paul goes around, gets all the offerings. The church is like, oh, this is great. But while Paul's there, Paul, you know, gets recognized for being Paul. And everybody, all these Jews, Jewish people are like, that's, that's Saul of Tarsus. That's Paul. He's preaching to the Gentiles. And they start rioting, getting mad at Paul and getting angry at Paul. They start beating Paul. Right? You know, you just have this mob mentality, kicking them, beating them, throwing rocks at all kinds of Paul's getting beat up. And then these Roman guards, they pull Paul out. <laughs> and Paul's like, whoa, whoa, let me address them again. 
This is my boy Paul. I'm at the boldness of Paul. He's like, let me address him again. And so he starts speaking in Hebrew. Now the Roman guards don't know a lick of Hebrew. So Paul is like addressing them in Hebrew. He's like, guys, I am, I'm, I'm Saul. I'm not, a, a, I'm not a, a pagan, okay? I'm not a Gentile. I'm, I, I studied under Gamaliel. I was in Jerusalem. I was here. And all of a sudden, he said, but God called me to preach. And he said the magic word, to preach to the Gentiles. Oh, that made everybody furious and all that you want to know how a jew is furious they'll start tearing their shirts and throwing up dirt okay they, you know that's what they do they tear their shirts and they start throwing up dirt in the air and everybody's angry and going mob mentality back on paul and the roman guards don't know what he said like what you do talk about their mama like what happened and, and, and so they take paul and they put him in prison and in prison he's in there for five years now here's the thing when paul was in prison for five years Paul didn't complain. He didn't mope. He didn't whine. Thank God Paul was in prison because Paul would go out in the middle of the, the town, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, even up to the point of being arrested. When he got into prison, what did he do? He picked up the pen. He picked up the pen and he wrote Ephesians. He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philippians and he wrote uh, Philemon. All the prison epistles. He's like, I'm going, if I, if I can't preach the gospel to the masses, I'm going to use the Holy Spirit through me. It's going, I'm going to be a vessel for the Holy Spirit just to preach the gospel to the masses. Thank God that Paul was in prison. And what he says, he says, I was a prisoner, not of Rome. Notice, he didn't say I was a prisoner of Rome. I was a prisoner of Caesar. I was a prisoner of Nero. Who is he a prisoner of? Jesus Christ. I was a prisoner of Christ. I want to ask you something. You see, this kind of mentality, when you become a prisoner of Christ, this kind of mentality only comes when you are serving and putting the, the, the kingdom of God first. See, Paul could say boldly in prison, I'm here not as a prisoner of Rome, not as a prisoner of, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Why? Because he knew that I was put here because I was serving Jesus Christ. I was doing it for his glory. You see, some of us, we avoid that persecution, so we keep our mouth shut for Jesus Christ. But how amazing would it be? Let me, let me just ask you, the adrenaline that you would have if you got fired from your job because you would not stop preaching the gospel, even though they said no. And you could say, I, unemployed for the sake of Christ. Now, I'm not saying get unemployed because you're annoying or obnoxious or, you know, I'm talking about you preach the gospel. I kicked out of angles for the sake of Jesus Christ because I just kept preaching the gospel. Like, but, we, but David, I don't want, we don't want to be annoying. We don't want to be abrasive in people's faces. So what we want to do is we want to, let's just be friends with people for years and years and years and years. And then when we get really comfortable, then we can talk about Jesus. How does that work for you? Honestly, how's that working for us? See, Paul, he spent his life in and out of prison, beaten, mocked, ridiculed. But every time he's like, man, I'm doing this for the sake. I could be, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of this because I'm living for 
Jesus. But then Paul says in verse 2, verse 4, and through 4, he says, this is a stewardship. King James says it's a dispensation. Basically, what Paul says, this is a revelation. So here's the frustration with Paul. Some people look at Paul and say, well, Paul came along, and he, all the other apostles were for the Jews. Paul came and said, this is for the Gentiles as well. So we just don't believe Paul. Paul gets a lot of hate. You notice that? Like I saw a song the other day from a pastor, a woman pastor. And she got up and said, she sung a song. And you probably find it on YouTube, but it's a whole song. She said, forget about Paul and forget about his words, basically. And because in Paul's letters, it addresses a lot of sins. And Paul gets a lot of hate because, oh, Paul was this wicked, mean man who hated everybody. And so let's forget Paul. The same with this. Paul is a wicked man who came and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. It was never a Gentile gospel. You are Yeshua HaMashiach, the Jewish Messiah. So you got to be a Jew. Well, guys, what Paul is saying here is this was not from me. I didn't create this message. I didn't create the gospel. I got it from a revelation. God gave this message to me that this is for the Gentiles. But then he says, this is the plan of God. Verse 5 which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been now been revealed by the Son of His Holy Spirit, or sorry, by the Spirit to His holy apostle and prophets. So that's really the definition of mystery, right? It was not made known to men, but it was made revealed through the Holy Spirit. And then verse 6 says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. In the New Living Translation, this is what it says. In the New Living Translation, I love how it says this. It says, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Paul says we are one person. We have three promises. We are fellow heirs. We are fellow members, and we are fellow partakers. Fellow heirs, meaning we are all equal, Jews and Gentiles. We've been talking about that. We are all fellow members. The King James says we are one body, and then we are fellow partakers of the promise. What's the promise? Holy Spirit. Remember when Peter... Remember Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 2? Peter, um, Peter's on this edge of like not really fully jumping on board with this idea of the Gentiles being saved. they got to become Jewish or circumcision. Something needs to happen. In fact, Peter and Paul have this weird thing throughout their lives, you know, because Peter, even when the Gentiles were being saved, Peter still had this attitude of like, when I'm around Gentiles, oh, let's, let's eat and drink and be merry with the Gentiles, eat bacon. But then when the Jews would show up, he'd like, oh, those wicked Gentiles. Like he'd like be too elitism over there. He'd go with the Jews and like all oh, these Gentiles. And Paul addresses him. He's like, what are you doing? Like you, you're a hypocrite, right? Paul addresses Peter because Peter kind of trying to figure all this out. But remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter still believes that Jews, Gentiles have to be Jewish. And God gives him this vision. And in this vision is this sheet coming down from heaven and all these animals, pigs and all these hooves. Look, they, everything in the Old Testament was unclean. And God says, take and eat the food. And Peter says, no, no, no. I will never touch anything that's unclean or common. And God says, don't call that which I have called uh, clean common. And it wasn't just talking about bacon. I mean, God was saying, okay, you could eat bacon. 
But he's talking about something else. He's talking about Gentiles. He says, God, Peter, right now at your door, there are Gentiles who are going to take you to Joppa and take you there, and there's going to be Gentiles wanting to be saved. So Peter gets out of bed, goes to the door. Sure enough, there's some Gentiles. They take him to Joppa. Peter starts pray, uh, preaching the gospel. He sees these Gentiles. That one, we want to believe. We want to be saved. He starts preaching to these people, and he, he's long-winded, just like me. And the Holy Spirit comes down and stops him, interrupts him right in the middle of his sermon, and the Holy Spirit floods this place and all these people start preaching speaking in tongues and all things start to pour out the holy spirit and peter's looking at this and it's like but these are gentiles these are gentiles and this is the same thing that was happening at pentecost but these are pagans they're not even circumcised god do you want me to go around circumcised? i'm like they need to be something but what God was saying, no, 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 these are my people now. There's no Jew nor Gentile. The Holy Spirit is the seal. It is the promise. We are all under the promise of God. We all inherit the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are fellow partakers of the Holy Spirit. But then Peter goes on, or Paul goes on in verse nine, or 7 through 9, talking about this is the third thing we're going to see about the mystery of God. It's the preaching of the mystery of God for which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Paul says the gospel cannot be separated from the church, the mystery of God. I was commissioned as an apostle, as a messenger, as, as a preacher, as a servant of God. It cannot be said. When you go out and preach the gospel, you cannot preach the gospel and say, all right, now you're on your own. Because now you become a part of the body. When you were saved, you were saved to be a part of the body, the church. There is no Lone Ranger Christian. There is no... So you can be a Christian and not go to church and not be a part of a body, but I promise you, you will not be a good one. You'll not be effective one. You'll not be one that's growing. You'll actually be stifled. You won't have this wisdom. You won't be spoken into. You won't be encouraged. You won't be disciplined. You won't be corrected. You won't be challenged. You won't be molded. You won't see the fruit of the Spirit and the correction of the Holy Spirit. You can be saved, but if you are not under the church, you will not be sanctified because the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification through the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And Paul says, I'm a minister of this mystery. He says... Um, He's called me to preach. Now, the word minister is basically servant. And he says, I am the least, I'm less than least. Now, this is grammatically incorrect, okay? I'm less than least. Well, if you're least, you're the least. Can't be less than least, okay? But Paul, what Paul's trying to show us and what Paul's saying is that, look, I don't deserve this. I'm, not, I'm, I'm Saul of Tarsus. I'm the one who persecuted the church. I killed people. I killed the church. I, and God called me by his grace. I, I don't deserve any of this. And he called me to be a servant of the church. You see, what motivated Paul to go out and be bold for the gospel? What mo motivated Paul to be ripped out of a mob and then say, hey, I want to talk to him again? What motivated Paul to do that? It wasn't because Paul sat in his room and read self-help books. 
It wasn't because Paul learned how to love himself. It wasn't because Paul said, you know, 10 ways to be a stronger you, how to make disciples 101. Paul didn't do any of that. Paul, what made, motivated Paul to go out and give his whole body, his life, be willing to be persecuted and die for his faith, not just die, but to live for his faith, was Paul knew he didn't deserve it. That he was, a, he was the worst of the worst, and yet God pulls him out and says, Paul, I want you to be an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. You see, guys, we, we, I've heard sermons, I've heard pastors, I've heard preachers get up and say, guys, your problem, the reason why you're not motivated, the reason why you're not going out, the reason why you don't love people is because you need to learn to love yourself more. You need to have more self-confidence in you. You need to look at yourself and you need to look in the mirror and say, you, you're good. You're good. You're a go-getter. Go out and get them. Guys, the Bible teaches us I don't need to learn how to love myself. The problem is, is I love myself too much. The problem is I don't love you. I don't love you the way that I love myself. And yet what, and what we see in the church is that we have this movement of let's love ourselves, love ourselves, love ourselves. Let's look in the mirror and get pumped and jazzed about ourselves and how awesome we are. And then we go into the world and realize, wait, why doesn't anybody else love me the way that I love me? And Paul says what motivated me was in, in reality what this is, is humility. Paul saw who he was in the eyes of a holy God and said, I'm not worth this. I'm not worthy. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm less than least. And let Paul, yeah, God called me. God called me. God called me. Are you still amazed by the calling of God on your life? Have you ever been amazed by the calling of God on your life? I mean, have you really, honestly, we, we say the words, oh God, I'm amazed. God, it's so awesome you saved me. Have you ever been broken down and looked at God and said, no way. You called me to serve your church. You called me to be, be a servant of you. You pulled me out of it. I was a rotting corpse of death. I stunk worse than anybody I know. You know, if there's one thing that I'm going to be able to brag about in heaven, it's that I'm out of everybody in heaven. I am the worst. And God, you saved me. You pulled me up. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says this. He says, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How many of us want to be used by God? God does not use a prideful person. Now you can do some things in pride, but it'll be by your own strength. You could do some things in the name of Jesus in your pride and it'll be by your own strength and it'll be glorifying to man but you want to see the power of god in and through your life why was paul so effective in ministry why was he why, why are we still reading the very words of paul because it wasn't about paul the words that we read today is not paul all god wasn't looking for paul to be somebody special god wanted paul to die he wanted him to be nothing, to lay himself down, to die to self so that in Paul's vessel, this vessel that you would call Paul or David, it's no longer I who live, but I am open and dead to the Holy Spirit to now live through me. The reason why Paul was so effective was because Paul understood that he could not be effective. 
apart from the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're walking in pride, you are in danger because when you do anything, you are going to get the praise and glory of man to you. And listen to me. God does not do anything other than for his glory and for your good. And you getting praise and glory is not for his glory or your good. You were not created to get praise and glory. It's too much weight for you. This is why you have pastors who are prideful or praise and glory. They pull upon them. And what happens? They crumble under that. Because it's about their glory and their praise. This is why you see people who get, it's all about the praise of man, not just pastors, but anybody. Praise and glory of man. We were not created to have that. We were created to give glory and praise to our creator. So listen to me. If you want to be used by God, you have to get back to being blown away that God could ever use you. It's called humility. That in the light of a holy God, you are nothing. And it amazes you that God would ever call you by name. If that doesn't blow us away, and I say this in love, then we need to do some deep soul searching. If that's something that doesn't blow us away, then we need to do some soul searching. Paul says that God, he says in verse 9, he says he preaches to the entire world. And he says uh, that the world was created. All things were created by Jesus Christ. This in the Greek, so he says all things were created by Christ Jesus. Now, this in the Greek, this is a profound statement. Very deep. All things were created by Christ Jesus in the Hebrew and in the Greek. You know what this means? All things were created by Christ Jesus. All things. You, the birds, the mountains, the trees. Everything was created by Christ Jesus. Now, this is where people say, well, no, 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 what about, what about evolution? What about this? You know, I, you know, David, you say all things were created. Why well, say this? And who's right? You know, who created God? If all things see. What it boils down to is that you have to either believe in an eternal God or eternal creation or eternal uh, uh, gas and dust. Like, right? Because the, the foundation of evolution is there's eternal gas and dust. And eventually it formed, you know, all the science, it formed planets. And over time, billions of years, millions of years, trillions of years, Thorn planets. Now listen to me. I've said this before. I can give you gas and I could throw dust in the air. It's not going to form planets, okay? Who created the dust? Okay? <laughs> That's the question that it boils down to. You either believe in eternal God or eternal gas. Eternal God or eternal God. But what Paul is saying is that all things were created for God's glory by God. The Bible says that, um, that the heavens declare God's glory unto uh, day unto day they utter his speech. Now, why is Paul bringing this up? Because he's saying God created the heavens and the earth. They were all for his glory, all to display. That's general revelation. You look out into the mountains, declares God's glory. Why is Paul bringing this up? Because he's saying something new. He's saying that the church is the new creation, the new humanity, and it's for something else. The church is for the glory of God's grace. This blew me away this week. Why do we need to have a high view of the, of the church? Listen. Because the church is to put on display the grace of God to the world. When you look at the mountains, you look at the mountains, and everybody's like, oh, we have a wonderful God, right? Wonderful creator. Amazing God. 
when the world looks at the church, they ought to say, whoa, we have an amazing, grace-filled, loving God. When the world looks at the church right now, I don't know. But it makes more sense when Jesus says in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays the high priestly prayer, he says, let them be one. I and you, you and me, let them also be in us. Let them be one, Father, so that the world will know that you sent me. The way that the church is one, the way that the church loves one another, the way that the church is sanctified, the way that the church is unified, the way that they are one, the world will look at them and see the glory of God's grace. That the way that we look, that's why Paul, Paul says the next chapter, after all of this doctrine of who we are in Christ, of what we are about, that what we're saved for, what we're redeemed for, you were dead because you were dead. This is who you were, but now walk in, now you are saved, now you're transformed, now you're living. In in chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk um, worthy of the calling you have been received. Paul says, walk worthy of it. He says, lay down your garbage, lay down your pornography, lay down your anger, lay down your pride, lay down your destruction, lay down your arrogance, walk worthy of your calling, which is to put on the display to the world the grace of Jesus Christ. The church needs to be one. We've got to stop being this this individualistic, culture-driven church where we all try to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. Do you know it's impossible to pick your own self up by your own bootstraps? That statement alone is garbage. That's not the church. We need each other. We need to love each other. We need to be in each other's life. But also, we need to put aside the destruction, the sin in our lives. Stop approve, stop as a church as a whole, stop approving of sins that the Bible says this is wrong. As a church as a whole, we need to do everything we can to protect our marriages. As a church as a whole, we need to do everything we can to protect our children. We need to stop teaching them the ways of the world. We need to get Paul says, walk worthy, walk worthy of the what Paul is saying he says stop right now everybody in the room talking to the Ephesians church right now pick a side if Baal is God then worship Baal but if God is God then walk worthy pick who your God is today That's what Paul is saying. He's not doing it out of anger. He's doing it out of concern because the church was to be the light of the world, but the church has been corrupted. And that's why every church in Ephesus are in Revelation. But two, Jesus says, if you don't get this fixed up, if you don't change this, if you don't get this sin out of you, I am wiping you from the face of the earth. Because God knows, Jesus knows, Jesus' heart for the church was to be displayed for the grace of God. And and, and, and some of you are like, Dave, if you keep preaching like this and we don't need more pews. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I know talking to people that I talk to in the gym and people that are unchristian, I know that the world is sick. The church proclaiming the mysteries of God and the grace of God, and the power and authority of God, 
and living as still in bondage and bondage and slavery and yet acting high and superior over them and telling them to change. Meanwhile, they're doing the same thing. I know that the world is sick of the church being hypocritical. And I say that in genuine meaning of the word, not we are all say as sinners under, uh, under grace, that we all have issues in our life. I'm not saying that we're all going to be perfect, but I mean it in the full sense of the word, world that we have not decided which God we follow. That we claim Christ, he is our God, but then we love Baal out in the world. The world's sick of it, and the world's ready for the church to actually be the light of the world. The world's sick of it. They're ready for the church to actually be, the, 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 to put on display the grace of Jesus Christ to this world. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you come in here and you're perfect. I don't want everybody to hide their sins now. I'm talking about we all have a desire to follow Jesus and we will mess up. We need each other. We struggle with the sin. We fall on each other. We rest on each other. We hold each other accountable. We love each other. But it's all the desire to follow Jesus. Paul says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities, and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm just going to end right here. We're not going to get to the last couple of verses, but what's, fun, what's funny about this, the church, saved under grace, the display of the glory of grace, the angels are amazed by the church. He says the principalities, he says, uh, known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, right? So he's talking about the angels and all the, the created spiritual beings are looking at this church. You see, what separates us from the angels? You know what separates us from the angels? Grace. The angels have never experienced grace. Do you know that? There's nothing that the angels have never experienced grace because they don't have a high priest. They don't have a sacrifice. We have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. But Paul says that we can now go and approach God with boldness, right? He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. We can have boldness. We can have confidence. We can have access in Christ. Let me ask you something. Does it amaze you that you could have, that you could right now go to God, your creator, and talk to him and he listens? You know, I went to a, a wedding a couple weeks ago. I married a guy, a buddy of mine, who used to play in my band. Some of you guys know him here, but his name was Dominic. But he was a lead guitar. He's a lead guitarist. He was in my band, but he's a lead guitarist now for Morgan Wallen. I don't know if you guys know Morgan, country music star, uh, Morgan Wallen. But anyway, so I go marry this, my, my lead guitarist, my buddy, and his whole band's there, and Morgan was supposed to be there, and all that. But all the friends, all his friends were that were at the wedding were all like, oh, Morgan's going to come there. Everybody's excited. And I don't get starstruck very. I don't do it. I just don't. People are people, right? Like, I don't get starstruck. And then there were some other people there that were just kind of friends of, this, of Dom. And they were just so amazed and excited. Like, we get to meet you know, Morgan. We get to... And I'm like, but I know his creator. Like, honestly, like, why would I get excited about a person who can sing really well? I have access to the creator, I'm the one who molded him, who made him, who gives him breath, who gave him the ability to say, I, I, I get to talk to him. Like I, I could drive right now. I could just drive down the street. I could just immediately pray. And, and I, get to, I have complete access 
to my creator. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You don't need some sort of penance. You don't need a box that you got to go in and say, confess. No, you don't need any of that. You've got access to your creator right now. Right now. You could do it in boldness. You could do it in confidence. You have access to your creator. And so Paul is saying all of this. And he's saying, with all that in mind, he says, do not be upset for me. He said, I'm giving my life. I've given my life. I've surrendered my life for the church. Because I pray that we become that. That every single one of us surrenders their life for the movement and work of God's plan through the church. That we surrender our lives to it. That we surrender our lives to see the advancing of God's grace and God's gospel and God's message. That the church becomes everything to us. That we are, we are one body and we are under the, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. 